What's up, everyone? It is JDF the Green Ranger, and you are listening to the Power Trip. It's morphin' time. Lisa. Tai Saku Sentai Pod Ranger. with attitude i'm nathan and i'm delving into the wild world of super sentai manga in today's discussion of himitsu sentai gorenja by shotaro ishinomori Listeners with attitude, you might be noticing that in a rare instance, actually, I think this is the only time this has happened, you're getting a solo episode of The Power Trip with just me, because unfortunately, Michael just wasn't feeling it with this manga, Um, and then there were some other things that have been going on behind the scenes. We'll explain more about that a little bit later. But since we had promised you that we would do this, I decided, you know what? I've already read this dang comic twice now. I'm going to go through with the episode. And I do think it is appropriate, even though this is tangentially related to Power Rangers, because this was a manga made concurrently with the original Super Sentai television show, which spawned the franchise that well i should say which eventually led us to power rangers so even though this team has never appeared in power rangers it's still relevant i would say to your interests and at the moment weirdly enough this manga which was published by seven seas entertainment uh, published and translated i should say who also i might add brought over ishinomori's original common writer manga which is Twice as thick as this thing, because this book is about 450 pages. It's hefty. Tis a tome. Again, it is re- uh, it is definitely relevant because this is the only bit of Himitsu Sentai Gorenja that you can get legally in the United States. This show has not been released yet, which I find kind of strange. But regardless, with introductions out of the way... Let's get into that plot synopsis, and by that I mean I'm going to read you the back cover copy. Cue the epic rock music! An evil secret society called the Black Cross Army threatens world peace, and only an elite force known as the Earth Guard League, or Eagle, can stop them. After the Black Cross Army destroys the Eagle's headquarters across Japan, five young recruits survive. Hiding in a secret underground base, they are given enhanced battle suits that empower them with superhuman abilities, transforming the U's into an unstoppable squad to combat evil.
So, just to get a little bit of background information out of the way here, as we usually do here on The Power Trip, the title of this manga, and the television show for that matter, can be translated as Secret Squadron Five Rangers, because yes, the word go in Japanese means five. Although it should be noted, as Drew pointed out during our Car Ranger episode, it is Go Ranger, not Go Ranger. Oops, I'm probably, I probably already screwed it up during this recording, and I might screw it up again going forward. But a little bit of background on Shotaro Shinomori, the creator of this manga. Omori is a big deal in Japan. I would dare say you might be able to call him the Stan Lee of Japan. Well, no, no, not the Stanley, not the Stanley. Osamu Tezuka, who we'll talk about here, he's the Stanley of Japan, but you could call Ishinomori, we'll say the Jack Kirby, perhaps? Yeah, I think the Jack Kirby of Japan would make more sense. But Ishinomori was born in 1938. He was influenced by the early works of Osamu Tezuka, who was the creator of Astro Boy. That's why he's a huge deal. And he's considered to be the godfather of manga, Tezuka, I mean. That's why, because without Tezuka, we wouldn't have, well, basically anything in pop a Japanese pop culture, I would say. No manga, no anime, perhaps not even any tokusatsu, at least not as we understand it. Shinomori went on to create Kamen Rider, obviously. Shout out to my other show, Henshin, then, where we talked about Kamen Rider. Kakaider. I guess I should shout out Elijah Thomas, a kaiju conversation. He has quite the appreciation for Kakaider, Cyborg 009. So he is a big deal in both the tokusatsu and anime communities. And of course, Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger, among other things, because he's got a lot to his name. I mean, he holds the Guinness World Record for the most comics published by one author. The man was prolific. So. This comic and this television show, I should add, was made in the middle of the Henshin boom, which started in the early 70s, thanks in large part to the original Kamen Rider, which was a hit, As and the Ultra series with Ultraman continued to be popular, but then Henshin superheroes, or just Henshin, or just Kyodai heroes, that's another name for them, you know, giant heroes, were just popping up everywhere on television. It was the second kaiju boom. A lot of people call it the Henshin boom, like I said. And Shinomori thought, you know what's better than one hero? A whole team of heroes. So that's why he decided to do this. This comic was created to run concurrently with the TV show in 1975. The show started April 5th, and the manga started being serialized on May 4th. Now, there are two versions for two different audiences of this manga, both of which are collected in the graphic novel from Seven Seas. The first was published in a weekly Shonen Sunday, and it follows the TV series, although it is a little different from what I have heard. And then you also have the version published monthly. I think the other one was published weekly, serialized weekly, in Shogaku Gonensei, fifth grader. And it was published in four parts, and it focused more on spy action and suspense, which is one of the things that... And I would say this is true of both of them, really, is that if you read this thinking that you're going to basically get Power Rangers, you're going to be very disappointed. Since this is the first of a franchise, the first of Super Sentai, it's not the first of Power Rangers, that's Zhu Ranger. 
you'll notice that a lot of tropes and such that you might be used to are not in here. First off, the characters do not morph. They wear power armor, essentially, and they have to actually put their costumes on manually. You'll also notice that they don't have any mecha. They have the Varabloon, which is basically a Quinjet from, say, the Marvel movies or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's the closest that you're going to get to a mecha. This has more in common with James Bond than it does say, you know, superhero stuff or what we, how we would understand Power Rangers going forward. And that's in large part because you, Ranger, benefited from you know, 16, 17 years, oh, 17 years of development you know, of the tropes and everything and evolution. I need to let you know that so you, in case you decide, well, okay, that's not for me then, or in case you do decide to commit to reading it, that way you won't be shocked by what you get. Now, that isn't to say that none of the tropes and trappings of Power Rangers or Super Sentai are absent from here. You still have the color-coded characters with crazy-shaped visors. You've got Monsters of the Week. You've got all kinds of melodrama you've got funny costumes for the villains and you know like it's all you know it's all there so it's recognizable as super sentai i will say that and also a note about the artwork ishinomori's style tends to be more caricatured compared to what a lot of american comic book readers might be used to reading or even some other manga readers Ishinomori's style is pretty unique, I have to say that. And so, because it has more caricature to it, that might take a little bit of getting used to. I mean, you just open this up to the first page, for all first couple of pages, and you, you see, you know, like, the, uh, his character's hands are really big, so are the feet, and, you know, they are far from realistic. Very, very far from realistic. And then you'll notice some characters have ridiculous proportions or really big facial features, crazy hair, you know, some of which you might be used to if you're an otaku. <laughs> but for those who aren't, who are going into this, more used to Power Rangers or even Super Sentai, you know, have never tried reading manga before, there are some things you're going to have to get used to. I know I had to, and I've been a comic book reader for a huge chunk of my life so all that to say let's get into this i will be going over my notes for each chapter of this 450 page tome and just going over you know, my thoughts as i was going as i was going through that i should note that one of the things that i like about this that is not in the common writer collection for some odd reason is that there are translation notes in the back that explain some of the creative licenses that they had to take in order to transliterate the original Japanese text because it was cultural stuff that just wasn't going to make sense to anybody who wasn't Japanese, but they explain why they did it. And I thought that was very helpful at points. Although I do wish that they demarked that a little bit more clearly you know, they didn't have anything like an asterisk. Like you've seen a lot of American comic books and they have a little footnote. No, they don't do, they don't do that. I think, so I wish they had done that. So that way I would, I was like, oh, go back and read the back, you know, this particular entry in the back of the book. But 
regardless, it's still very handy to have. And I wish they had done it for the Common Rider manga, but maybe they didn't want to have to hit a thousand pages or something. I don't know. So, chapter one, where we get the origin of the Go Rangers. Although this is the first origin because there's a different take on it once you get about halfway through the book and you get to the fifth grader edition from the other magazine. So, what I find kind of cool is that it, the first panel on the first page, you know, it's three panels, and it looks like a helmet visor, but it's actually bricks that are being shattered. And it's a really nice intro because we get to meet our Red Ranger through this, Kaijo Suyoshi, or Suyoshi Kaijo. I do believe his first name is Kaijo. And then I should note later that, you know, our Blue Ranger, and now it's Aka Ranger, because Aka means red in Japanese. And then our Ranger, Akira Shinmei, who is our Blue Ranger, and Ao means blue. And then Daita Oiwa, the Key Ranger, Ranger, who is yellow. And then Momo Ranger, who is Peggy Matsuyama. She's the, yeah, she's pink. And then our Green Ranger, Mito Ranger, who is Kenji Asuka. And Mito Ranger holds a little bit of a special place in my heart because a reimagined version of Mito, of Mito Ranger is in my other podcast, The Monster Island Film Vault. He's a lawyer character named Raymond Martin. And if you're a Godzilla fan, you know how brilliant that name is. I didn't come up with that, however. That was my friend Damon Noyce. Give it a listen if you want to hear our take on Mito Ranger. <laughs> Let's just say he's channeling his inner Adam West. I'll say that much. But anyway, I like the fact that we have the visual of a hel- of a helmet visor with the bricks being shattered because Kaijo is you know a martial artist and we're seeing how proficient he is. And I did find it funny that the power suits in this seems like it's delivered by the male. It just it just cracked me up. I can't imagine, uh, and, you know, the postal service delivering a power suit to somebody. That would be hilarious. This interestingly makes a lot of pop culture references that are left in here, and this was actually covered in one of those footnotes that I mentioned there in the back of the book. Uh, there's a reference to a film called Mary Friends, which was an actual movie from the mid seventies. And there's also a reference to Superman, which as a Superman fan myself, that just cracked me up. But the funniest part of the whole thing, and I don't know, this is one of those instances where I look at this and I wonder to myself, is this just the translators having a bit of fun? Is the seven seas having a bit of fun? Or is this actually in the tech, the original text? I really don't know. But there is a flat-out reference to both Ultraman and Kamen Rider in this. Because as Suyoshi is putting his suit on, he's monologuing about how he really doesn't want to do this. And he said, this looks fine. A costume from a cartoon with a cape and everything? Because, yes, the Go-Rangers have capes. Because capes are cool. Shut up, Michael. Shut up, Ed the Mole. Anyway. Is he the next Superman or something? So there's the Superman reference, and he start, and then Suyoshi is about to put the helmet on, and he says, actually, it's more like Ultraman or Masked Rider. Someone thinks he's clever. Someone thinks that uh, it was just really, really uh, Ishinomori, making reference to yourself and the competition. That's funny. Now, 
Something else that I should bring up, and if you want to learn a little bit more about this, you can listen to, I believe it is episode 67, I want to say, of Henshin Men, where I have Tommy Trembath of Giant Size Violence on, and we talk about the Common Writer manga by Ishino Mori. But some, one of the key differences between manga and Western comics, particularly at this time, it's less significant now because of the manga influence, but manga is very decompressed. And by that, I mean, you'll see a lot less happen in the same number of pages. You could see, you know, particularly in some Silver Age comics, like anything by Stan Lee from the 60s, you could see nine panels on a page and maybe three scenes could happen in the, over the course of those nine panels. Whereas in manga, they might take three or four panels just to track the trajectory of a bullet to create more suspense. You'll find out here that this is also very decompressed. There's a whole page of panels dedicated to a handful of blows exchanged by Aka Ranger and a bunch of goons. So we have an accidental use of superpowers to showcase character and abilities, which is a great way to do things. The exposition in this does feel very natural. And then I should mention that the suit is given to Suyoshi by his dad, who's we find out is, I believe he, I'm trying to remember if he is the, if he's just an agent of Eagle or if he's the head of Eagle. I'm not entirely sure. I think he's he's at the very least an agent of Eagle. Pretty sure. Well, anyway. But then it turns out that this first fight we get, which I gen- both times I read this, I genuinely thought, oh, this is a real deal fight. The bad guys are coming. The Black Cross Army is coming after him. No. No, 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 no. This was arranged by his dad to test the capabilities of the suit. And I'm like, wait. You got a bunch of goons with swords and guns and a flamethrower to attack your son. And then you also threaten his girlfriend who was in on this. This is nutty. Okay. I, I, I'm starting to question if Suyoshi's dad is a good dad because this is just kind of crazy. There is also a line at this point. I forget who said it, but it says that was a real shocker, man. This is a little bit meta, really. Yeah, yeah. You're making reference to yourself again, Ashino Mori. Or is this something from the translators again? I do wonder. <sighs> and, oh, this is another thing that's kind of funny with manga is that things that are technically not sounds, you'll get on a monopoeia for it, which you do for this one. So, yeah, th- this one is for smokes. And, you know, uh, for, like, when someone is smoking a cigarette and other sounds, it's very manga. It, you know, so... That's something else you may have to get a little bit used to if you're used to Western comic books. Let me tell you, at this point, we get a big exposition dump on uh, the Black Cross Army, and Ashido Mori loves certain... Like most creators, they love certain tropes a lot, and they will go to those tropes all the freaking time. One of the things that Ashido Mori loves, secret societies. He can't get enough of those. There are secret societies and all of his major works, as far as I know, in Common Rider was Shocker. And we get another one here with the Black Cross Army. However, there are some key differences between Shocker and the Black Cross Army. Shocker 
is motivated more by conquest, whereas the Black Cross Army is motivated more by profit. And Shocker is meant to basically be remnants of Nazis who are you know still trying to carry out, and they're almost cultish as well. Whereas the Black Cross Army is basically a bunch of extortioners who are trying to keep nations destabilized and at war with each other. Again, this keep in mind this is the Cold War. Keep them keep them at war with each other so they can keep make so they can sell information to both sides and make money. They're basically war profiteers, and even though some of what they do overlaps, there's still some key differences there. But regardless, they're both basically secret societies. So Eagle or the Earth Guard League, the way it's set up and everything, it reminds me of the SSSP or the Science Patrol from Ultraman. Get used to Ultraman comparisons, people. <laughs> yeah, and then. You gotta love reluctant heroes because Suyoshi hears all of this and he says, You can't tell me what to do, Dad! <laughs> Classic reluctant hero. That's why we love him. And then we're we're introduced to the other characters at this point. And we're one of the interesting little quirks that we have here is that Mito Ranger, Kenji, and Daita, Key Ranger. They have a, a bit of a weird rapport with each other <laughs> because Kenji loves riddles and Daita, who's not the sharpest tool in the shed and the token fat guy, I might add. <laughs> he's a, so he's a doofus and, he lo- and Kenji loves giving him riddles to see if he can figure them out. And we have one here where he tries to, <laughs> oh my gosh. The question is, you know, what's I think it's what's the difference between ninety minutes and an hour and a half, and it actually takes Daita a few pages to you know, to figure it out. So as we continue on from here, what else do we get? Tanks in houses. What? <laughs> there are tanks in houses because, of course, there are tanks in houses. Because why not at this point? This is one of the things that's great about this is that. This is not limited by budget or technology like a TV show would be. This is really only limited by imagination, a bit of time, and artistic ability at this point. So, yes, tanks and houses, because why not? And then I just have written down here, it's a trap! <laughs> Probably because that's what, you know, the tanks and the houses were a trap. And then we, this is the other thing, you know, Black Cross also has horsemen with swords, and our heroes have guns doesn't sound like the smartest move to me guys but yeah that's something else yeah the the aka not aka rangers the go rangers have guns again more like james bond than it is superhero and also black cross has jetpacks and flying robot horses did i mention this comic's a little bit wild and not limited by budget yeah so we get to a point later on we i got a uh couple of quotations here from Shinmei, who's uh, our ranger, and he says people can only afford to have best friends when they're bumming off their parents for a living. Shinmei is our token angry stoic guy. There's always one, especially in Japanese media. Yeah, so get used to him. He's the broody one. He's the really broody one. And then I also have another line here from, from him where he says, in the world we live in right now, not even God knows what's right. Did I mention he was broody? Seriously, broody. I also noted here that we out, that we have silent sound effects, which is another classic manga trope because you'll see the word silent pop up when there's no sound effects. 
Again, for onomatopoeia. And then as we go on, we get something of a monster of the week. We have a samurai on a robot horse. I love it. If this doesn't sound just absolutely wild, I don't know what I can do to convince you, but I, this is, I love it, and it's crazy. And then we have Mochizuki says he's simply employed by the Black Horse Army. This is a friend of one of the Go Rangers who turns out to be a double agent. But he says he's just doing it because it's a job. It's a job. And this is another trope that Ashinomori loved, which was heroes with connections to the villains in some form or another. In Common Rider, Hongo got his powers thanks to Shocker, thanks to the bad guys, and then he started fighting the bad guys. I think the same is also true in Cyborg 009. I could be wrong on that. But here we have heroes who have friends who are part of the bad guys technically. In this case, he's Shinmei's friend. Because, and I know this because I have another Shinmei line here where he says, it doesn't matter how you try to justify it, wrong is wrong. So even though Shinmei is a cynic, he has a very clear sense of right and wrong. It's just that he clearly sees a lot more wrong than he does right anymore, which I can kind of understand. On the other hand, though, Mochizuki does make a solid argument on the gray morality of government secrets, which, like I said, is pretty interesting. That's on page 124 to 125. They're having a philosophical conversation. I bet you didn't expect that you would get a philosophical debate about government and morality You know, when it's supposed to be the first Super Sentai, right? You know, the prototype Power Rangers. Say a guy works for a good company. Is he going to quit his job just because he's putting harmful additives into his family's bodies? Do you think a guy could give up a job at an automotive company just because their cars give off exhaust fumes? Also, I should note, Shinomori was quite the environmentalist, too, so that crops up a lot in his work. And then our hero says, you're just blowing smoke. It doesn't matter how you try to justify wrong is wrong. Come on, Mochizuki, don't you have any idea what the Black Cross Army is doing? And then Mochizuki says, of course I do. They're an international group of spies. But what's so bad about s stealing and selling information? Let me ask you this. If it's so bad for this intel to be stolen, who made it in the first place? Who created these secrets that are supposed to be, they're supposed to topple enemy nations? What's wrong with stealing them? Dot, dot, dot. He continues, who do you work for? The government? Do you think everything your government does is right? <laughs> you know I'm right. All this talk about right and wrong, no one gets to decide that. It's different for everyone. Wow. Relativist morality. I think this comic was a little ahead of its time. And then our hero says, Mochizuki, you, you really have changed. And it goes from there. Yeah, I have to say, when you have a villain who might be right, that's horrifying. It really is horrifying. So, as this sequence goes on, Shinmei lures Mochizuki into lowering his guard by removing his helmet, and then it turns into a quick draw, and he's a quicker draw, and he has to kill his best friend while barely crying. It's an incredibly dark and dramatic scene. It really is, and it, again, wasn't entirely expecting that when I first read this. And then, Shinmei tries to let the tanks kill him, but the Vera Bloon saves him. 
and he wanted to die with his friend. Did I mention Shin Mei is the broody one? <laughs> yep. And then I noted on page 149 that it looks like a bit of a comedic comic strip. Yeah, the this last page down here where it's illustrating one of Mito Ranger, Mito Ranger's riddles. And then, okay, okay, you get to page 155 in this comic, and I am so... This is the part that makes me sad that Michael just couldn't get make himself finish reading this because... Page 155, we get a robot brontosaurus. This is officially a kaiju book. I love it. I love it. Like, this is the part where it really starts feeling like Power Rangers for a hot minute. I have no idea, as I haven't seen the, the television show. I don't know if they did this in the television show. I really hope they did this in the television show because this would be amazing. Oh. And then you get to the next page on this and we get another one of these little references that seriously makes me wonder if the translators are just having a little bit of fun so the robot brontosaurus pops out of the water and then there's a boat off to the side and the reaction from one of the sailors is and i quote ay 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 it's a dinosaur come on guys you threw that in there for the power ranger fans I doubt that that's what was actually said. Maybe something like that, but you're just having a little bit of fun. They also then say it looks like Nessie. And then here's another pop culture reference that I don't know if it was in the original text or not, but they said, it's Nessie. And then another guy says, Godzilla! <laughs> Call the self-defense force. I'd rather have Ultraman or even Masked Rider. Oh my gosh. Is that implying that they're in the same universe? I do that on my podcast or on the Monster on Phone Vault, but man, that would be hilarious. Either that or these characters are just so freaked out. They're asking pop culture characters for help, man. And then it just goes on from there with all of the, you know, just all this madness. And then it culminates on page 166 and 167 with this amazing two page spread of the brontosaur, the robot brontosaur just going crazy decimating a city and it's just it is nuts and then okay okay again seven seas just having a little bit of fun but there's a line here that says from aka ranger aka ranger where he says let's send that dinobot packing guys <laughs> transformers reference now a transformers reference me grimlock king Sorry, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And I got to make up for the fact that I'm the only one doing this. So bear with me, please. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at this and, you know, that we're getting there's here's the thing. The first half of this collection, there's no chapter demarcations. It's just one continuous thing. And it goes from one mission to another. And there's several of them in there, which is a little bit confusing considering how because i would have liked to have had some chapter breaks in there and to see where if this was being serialized weekly where each chapter began and en ended they do that well no they don't quite do that they do that in the common writer manga but there are still points where i'm like this is going on longer than just one chapter anyway hilariously the scientists refused to believe there could be anyone who'd want to stop their solar energy work is the reason the brontosaurus is set in there is because it's trying to get a hand it's trying to acquire for the black cross army basically a clean energy source 
and they can't believe that anyone would want to stop them. <laughs> and I wrote down, well, that's strange. I'm pretty sure there would be some oil companies who would disagree. They'd want somebody. I could easily see the Black Cross Army getting paid by oil companies to stop the solar energy work. But again, like I said, Ishinomori was an environmentalist and would be interested in stuff like this. So the fact that we have scientists trying to make clean energy, again, he's kind of ahead of his time. This is a, Ishinomori, the more I read of his work, the more prescient he seems. Anyway, they're still just flabbergasted by it, which again, like I said, just makes me laugh a little bit. I guess it's supposed to show that these scientists are perhaps a little bit naive. And then as you go on from there, you know, you have what I jokingly called the dog collars of doom, <laughs> uh, you know, which are these spinning bladed, you know, like, like I said, collars that are fired by the robot Brontosaurus after they destroy it, I might add. So, you know, they're just flying around and, you know, I forgot that we do have one of the, I guess you say monsters of the week in this one of the operatives, Black Cross Army operatives. I'm trying to see where's uh, trying to get a good shot of him because he looks like a cyclops a little bit. Has bandages on his face. Can only see one eye. Yeah, there he is right there, and he's wearing a black cloak, and that's because he was piloting the robot brontosaurus, and then what ends up happening is after it gets blowed up, and it's just. Well, the head and neck get blowed up, and then it just the body with this big porthole on it, and you see him, and then he continues fighting the Go Rangers. So, the Robotosaur—that's what it's called—the Robotosaur, not as fun a name as I would have thought. You know, Mecha Bronto sounds more interesting to me, but anyway, the Robotosaur is destroyed by the solar energy emanating from the satellite dish, because there's a satellite dish here that is able to direct the energy. And it serves as a way to preach a bit about countries with fossil fuels trying to stop them because it would devalue fossil fuels. And then it just ends. If I have a major gripe with these collections and with these comics, it's the fact that they tend, and this happened in the common writer manga as well, they just have a tendency to end abruptly. Like, you have all of these stories, and then one wraps up, and then inside of a page, it's done. There are American comics that do this, too, particularly from this era. But it always throws me off because I would have I would have liked a little bit more denouement, you know, to ease my way into it being over. And it just, especially after such an epic battle here against this giant robot brontosaurus, the fact that it just ends on a little bit of environmental preaching and then after for a page and then boom, it's over. Okay. Could we, you know, haven't had, you know, one more character moment. We had stuff like that before with some of the previous missions that they went on, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It annoys me. It annoys me a little bit. It's worse actually, I think in the common writer manga, because when you get to the actual final story of the common writer manga and just how abruptly it just comes to an end, Especially when you think, well, that was actually how the original manga ended. That's really the note you want to end on, guys? And it's the same thing here. This is the end of the Shonen Weekly Sunday edition of the manga. And I'm like, really? Is that how you would have? I hope the TV show does this better. But, like I said, speaking of the end of, uh, the, end of the Shonen Weekly version, we now get into the monthly version 
that was published in, like I said, Shogaku Gonensei from April 1975 to July 1975. So this was around the same time as the show. Whereas the first one was, yeah, May 4th, 1975 and issue 18 of Weekly Shonen Sunday to August 10th, 1975 or issue 32. You'll notice a massive, massive tonal shift here. It gets a heck of a lot lighter. While on, this, on the other hand, from what I understand, it is in following some of the television show plot points a little bit more closely. So these are actually broken up into chapters that are clearly marked in this book, which is nice. So the first one is Directive 1. And it starts like the show, so I am told, with eagle branches being destroyed by the Black Cross Army. And then you have an Amer uh, uh, Kaijo Suyoshi playing with an American football, which I found a little bit surprising. And then it gets a knife thrown at it while he's playing with it. You know, so someone intercepts the football with a dagger. Nice job, guys. And I have to say, even though this is meant for kids and it's lighter... By comparison to what we just read before, this is still strangely dark and violent for fifth graders. Something that I've talked about on Henshin Man, on I think I've talked about it on Power Trip. Yeah, we've talked about it on Power Trip. You know, all of my podcasts about how there's just such drastic differences in sensibilities between America and Japan, especially when it comes to children's entertainment. So you'll notice that this is largely a retelling or I, I well, I wouldn't call it a reboot, but it's 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 a retelling of the same of some of the same stories because this first one, this directive one, is basically the origin story again. But it's a lot more action packed. There's fewer character moments, and it, it, stuff happens a heck of a lot faster. Yeah, it, this is more compressed by comparison. Probably again because this was meant for fifth graders, and in a lot of ways, it reminds me more of American comics. And then just a, a line that I have here. I wish I had put the page number for this, but you know, it says, how do you like this? And he's, and then the response is it hurts. And our villain of the week in this chapter, who looks nutty, by the way, his name is skull mask. Now that is a trope for what I understand. That's the naming convention for the villains in go wrencher is that it's always something mask. And you see that a heck of a lot more here than you do in the previous section. And looking at this, I can't help but wonder if this was inspired by Shinomori's other creation at the time, which was Skullman. Not to be confused with the Mega Man 4 boss. So, my final thought on this particular chapter is this compressed origin has less impact than the original story. It was better seeing Kaijo interact with his father before the man is killed. Yeah, it's just... It just felt like a fuller story. But the, that's the thing, though. You have to understand, when you see anything that's marked shonen, that's not a title that is actually considered a genre, but it's a genre in terms of the age group. So a shonen are comics meant for boys. So I would say probably like middle school or probably high school. So high school and young adults. So high school to early twenties. And this is meant for an even younger demographic, you know, fifth graders. And then you get over to directive two and the, the plots in this start suffering, I think, because of how decompress, how compressed they are. 
And my first note on this one was, I seriously thought the granddaughter and her pet rabbit were murdered by the flying, by the, by the sailing ship. Yeah, we also start getting some really wacky just story elements in this. So the Black Cross Army sends a s- small flying model sailing ship as a messenger because... And I did write in there, so yeah, I, that's a sentence that exists. Yeah, it is. That's a surefire way to communicate that your villains are pure evil. But she was knocked out and kidnapped for ransom. So yeah, okay. I was like, why don't you kill her? You know, and then it's like, no, they would kidnap her because she's the granddaughter of a scientist that they're trying to ransom. And since the thing talks, there's a, I wrote down a line from this sailing, you know, from this flying sailing ship this is we believe it is only right to repay treachery with treachery because the scientist gets the go wrenchers to help him and then he doesn't go through with the demands of the black cross army and then they betray him because he betrayed them, because he betrayed them ta-da <laughs> which only makes sense <laughs> and i wrote down, of course the flying mini ships have guns and bombs because why wouldn't they why wouldn't they at this point? Come on. This is a this is a silver age comic and it's Tokusatsu. It's wacky. But I got Okay, well, yeah, but speaking of wacky. Oh jeez. Oh good lord. The villain in this one is this one is this has to be a case of this is better. This must be better in the original Japanese, but he is boat ear mask. And he has he has ears that look like giant crescent moons on the sides of his head and they're supposed to be radar uh, it's just i can't i just, and they look like boats and it's just i it's just not working for me I, it's just just looks weird this is just one of those points where it's like it's weird and i don't get it but we also see that Mido ranger not only uses riddles with his buddies to baffle him but he'll also use them to taunt his enemies and he's a master of disguise because of course he is Again, Silver Age. Everybody can do anything. Yeah, and then I wrote down, flying sailing ships and dogfights must have been a trend in the mid to late 70s because, you know, you have Space Battleship Yamato, which is one of the most iconic animes ever produced, and that was highly influential going forward. I think, actually, Space Battleship Yamato was starting around this time, too. Now, I will admit, you know, this chapter ends on the answer to one of Mito Ranger's riddles, and... It's just, it's just one of those things like, how would you even know? How would you even know? And I'm trying to find what the actual riddle was. I'm having trouble finding it. I should have written it down. But my, I wrote these notes d- down quite some time ago, which is unfortunate. Because you know, I don't remember the context for everything. And again, I don't have Michael to play off of. But it had to do with sparrows and sparrows flying away. And why one sparrow flew away and all that sort of stuff. And the punchline is, you know, it's because he always followed the crowd and even his friends are telling him that, well, that was stupid. All right. And then we move on to directive three. Oh, I should mention that there are chapter that there are names for each of these. I should mention those. So directive one is rally under the go Ranger flag and directive two is titled The Flying Devil Ships. And then Directive 3 is Trapped in the Mirrors, which made me think of Mirror Man, who was a henshin hero created by Tsuburaya Productions in the early 70s. 
And then uh, first thing I know for this one is that the footnotes in the back of the comic explain the creative transliterations applied throughout. Yeah, I, I guess that was when I first started you know, looking into it a little bit more. They're particularly handy when it comes to the riddles because the riddles are very Japanese in nature and they had to play around with it to make it work in English. And just and then I wrote, it's quaint to read something that has to explain telepathy because that is a plot point in this. You know, the, there's a girl who... She says she's being targeted by the Black Cross Army because she has telepathy. And this was at a time when telepathy was just not a common thing. <laughs> you know, people weren't just talking about it willy-nilly, casually all the time. It was still a relatively new concept, so they have to explain what it is. And then we get our villain of the week in this one, Mirror Mask. Not to be confused with the sort of obscure Jim Henson movie. <laughs> and then, while this is all going on, we get something that I have been complaining about several times in a lot of the Power Rangers shows that we've been going that we've been looking at on this show. Because I just don't understand why the, these just don't seem to work. But unlike a lot of Power Rangers, the Go Rangers helmets actually protect them against poison gas because they tried to use poison gas on aqua ranger and this helmet saves his life what the heck power rangers come on all the technology and at some points magic in the world and you can't make helmets that filter the air for you that seems pretty basic to me come on and then this is when i noted that there's a lot less characterization going on in this version of the story because again it's focused more on action and suspense nice hero line here you know evildoers like you should never come out in broad daylight probably because they look ridiculous i mean come on you, you would die from sheer embarrassment although mirror mask in this is a pretty subdued character by comparison to a lot of the other ones and you go through the story we get some classic superhero tropes we get a trap doors and death traps we get our heroes riding motorcycles and you know fun stuff like that some clever escapes using some very <laughs> some very silver age logic and such here although like a, i said mirror mask is pretty low-key compared to some of the other villains but there is a point where he literally opens his face and it, it to make a mirror out of it and do some light attacks with it. And then they defeat him by basically putting him in the dark so he can't reflect anything. And then they shoot him in the face! Shatter. I don't know if it's just his head. Or, or I don't know if it's his head or... No, it's just the mask. And then they shoot him in the head. For the kids! Although, and I wrote on here, you know, that Mirror Mask's weakness is throwing shade. <laughs> sorry, not Sorry. The fact that I've gone this entire episode and I've only just now used that button is pretty impressive. Actually, my note for that says bullet to the head for the kids. And then the big plot twist is it turns out she doesn't have any psychic powers. It was all a ruse. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm definitely enjoying the first half better than the second half when it comes to this. Then we finally get to directive number four, the lying robot. And if you're a classic science fiction fan, right here on the cover page, you're going to be flipping out because Robbie the Robot is on here. And I'm just like, what in the heck? 
Robbie the robot is in this? And then you start reading the story. I think I at first, when I first read this and I just saw it on the cover, it's like, okay, it's just a robot. Just using Robbie the robot for this cover. Nope. Then he actually shows up in the story. Now he's not called Robbie the robot, but it's definitely Robbie the robot. That design is iconic. Yeah. Now he's a toy in this and the Black Cross Army seems to have a thing for using toys to deliver messages. I wrote, you know, because you go back to the flying battle, you know, the flying toy battleship from a couple chapters ago. You know, and then this chapter focuses. Okay. See, okay. I'll unpack it as we go. But this chapter is all about robots being stolen and they're trying to figure out who stole them, how they did it and all that sort of stuff. I will admit that the robots that get stolen, when you actually see them in the background, they look like Mega Man bosses. But yeah, I'm not surprised. It was kind of the style of the time. Clearly had an influence over a decade later with the creation of Mega Man. Our villain this w- in this chapter is Clockwork Mask, and he makes reference to Gear Mask, but we haven't seen him in this comic, and... I wonder if these directives are are adaptations of episodes of the television show and the one with quote-unquote gear mask was left out. Who knows? Like I said, I haven't seen the show. And then there's only one robot robot that looks like Robbie that isn't a toy, and he's in the background in one panel. But here's the part that just gets to me. This whole thing is a mystery. You know, it's it, and there's hardly any action in it, and we have no suit action. Our characters don't put on their power suits and fight the villains at all. You know, we do have a brief fight, but it's just Kaijo taking out Clockwork Mask without his suit. And then there's a brief fight where the other Rangers fight some of the goons, but again, without suits. And then it just turns out that. There was a guy that they who worked at the lab that they bribed to let them come in and steal everything. And then this robot that they had talked to, here's where we get the title, that you know supposedly said he didn't do it. Oh, the robot was lying because they had a tape in it that gave false information. And this guy is so dedicated to the Black Cross Army charge that even though he said, oh, how, why would I do that? They, uh, you know, When they came in and stole everything, they hurt me. And they actually said he basically had a self-inflicted injury to do it. And I, I just, I mean, I give him credit. <laughs> That's definitely dedication. But I will admit there are just some points where it really does seem like Ishinomori is making some pretty big leaps in order to make this mystery work. It's not uncommon you know, in comics at this, in this era to do wild things like this, just to make it work, to see, you know, to really make sure they can fool people. It's just, we have characters going to extremes that you wouldn't normally expect. But remember how I said that it seems like these comics have, you know, from a Shinomori, seem to have trouble with fast endings. We get that here. You know, the, the mystery and subversion with it not being the Black Cross Army is nice. So, yeah, it turned out it wasn't the Black Cross Army. I'm sorry. They just assumed that it was. It was really just this guy trying to make money. But like the common writer manga, this ending feels anticlimactic, but for different reasons. You know, so it turns out it's not the Black Cross Army and we don't get any suit action. It's just it just, it just ends, you know, and almost no fanfare, it feels like. So, I don't know. 
That that last one was probably, despite the appearance of Robbie the Robot, felt a little bit frustrating. And like I said, the first half of this is definitely worth the read and I think is the better of the two sections in this particular collection. They're bo- both sections are worth reading, but I do find the first half more appealing. Maybe it's because I'm not a fifth grader. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can, some of you listeners with attitude, if you have kids, particularly those who are about 10 years old, maybe you could buy this for them and have them read it and see what they think of it. You know, if they prefer the first section or the second section, write in and let us know. I'd love to find out, you know, leave us some comments in the Power Rangers Legacy Facebook group. Let us know. But anyway, that is the Go Ranger manga. And my apologies. I just feel like at this point, this whole episode just hasn't been quite on par with what we have been doing. But like I said, I don't have Michael here with me. And these notes are a little bit old and I have to reference the book to remind myself what I was trying to get at. I was expecting to record on this manga a lot sooner after rereading it than we are right now. So like I said, please bear with me. But We do have some exciting things coming up. After this episode, we'll be getting back to some Super Sentai coverage with our friend Kaiju Kim with Denji Sentai Mega Ranger, which obviously became Power Rangers in Space, only one of the best Power Rangers seasons ever of all time. Hashtag blue wigs and black leather. Am I right? Am I right? I know I'm right. Anyway, so... That, that should be a fun discussion for sure, especially with Kim joining us. And we'll see, we'll see if Mega Ranger can keep Super Sentai's streak of doing it better with me. We'll find out. You'll have to listen. You'll have to listen. Does do the Blue Wings and back Black Leather tip Power Rangers finally? Like I said, give it a listen to find out. And then after that, we made the decision because you know it's coming out and we want to be as timely as we can our next episode after that will be power rangers cosmic fury the 30th season of power rangers it feels it feels appropriate that you know that we're finally getting to that we're completing our power ranger coverage with what might be the last season of power rangers as we know it, it might be a bit bittersweet I'm curious to see how the whole thing is going to work, especially in light of certain comments that Simon Bennett has made that has stirred up some controversy. You know, I'm curious to see how it all comes to fruition. Beyond that, uh, we'll let you know what's going to be happening with the show. What comes after that for the power trip, we'll let you know at a later date after we take care of the Cosmic Fury coverage, we'll let you know. I know Michael and I, when we launched this, we said that you know it was intended to be a bit of a limited series. Once we get through all of the Power Ranger stuff, it was his love letter to the franchise. So what we're going to do beyond that, we're still working that out. We will let you know at a future date. So please stand by. In the meantime, you've got plenty of great content to listen to and a lot to look forward to. So with that, listeners with attitude, may you find a more efficient communication system than deadly flying toy battleships and may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchand. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at the Power Trip Pod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcatchers. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme song was created by JP Gant. Follow him on Twitter at homebrewedsd. We also use tracks from Super Sentai Complete Works 30th Anniversary Album. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Toei Company Limited, Saban Entertainment, or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya! Yeah.